Yeah, yeah. We, we are the epitome of black female love. It's yeah. easy for us as, as black women to, to hold up the banner and the calls for everyone else. But again, Who's, who holds up the banner and the calls for us? What role does the church play in all of this stuff? Is that we as a black church are perpetuating the mm -hmm. same behavior as a patriarchal evangelicals have been That's doing. right. And the guess church. what? But it's the sisters in the congregation. But it's the, a lot of times it is the black women who uh, bring us down more or push or try to silence our voices more in the black church. Hello, 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 my sister. Hello, how are you on today? Viewing audience, let us know that you are here. Let us know where it is that you are um, joining us from and um, and yeah, just welcome again to Timely Wisdom. Uh, Dr. Wright, how are you on today? Dr. Burns, I am wonderful. And I just want to take this opportunity to say I appreciate you not laughing at me earlier when I said I'm going to run and get uh, the glass cleaner from my glasses, uh, <laughs> knowing that I'm still recouping from this total knee surgery. And uh, I get a little feisty, you know, drugs make me feel empowered. <laughs> but I am doing well, grateful to God for all he's done. My knee feels absolutely wonderful. The only thing that I'm experiencing is, is that healing pain, but this too shall pass. So I it. Oh, uh, oh, well, so um, how has it been now? Um, what is it? Is it a week since the Super Bowl? Oh, yeah. How? How? Yeah. I'm. I'm changing. Changing the subject briefly. On I mean, how? How has it? How has it been? Exciting uh, in Kansas. Still in the air. I did not <laughs> in the parade. I, don't be disappointed in me. You know, I didn't attend. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. What? What were you been? Who you been leaning on? Uh, <laughs> help, help me with that one. <laughs> but it was massive, and 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 it's crazy because we're going from uh, one level to another level because now we're getting ready for the the uh, NFL draft, and so the scenery they're moving out the props from uh, Super Bowl, and they're replacing them now with all of the setup for the NFL draft, and so the city is uh, filling up. People are coming from everywhere, and I'm excited about it. I, I think sometimes Kansas City is a very underrated city because people have in their body, you know, in the back of their mind, they they see they don't understand that there's Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri. So we're actually two separate states divided by a river. You can drive right across the river and be in the other state, but we are two separate states. And so uh, most times people say, "Oh, you know, Dorothy and Toto," and Oh, it's planes and it's cows and all that. Well, we got some cows, but Texas got <laughs> cows too. <laughs> At the end of the day, we are a thriving, beautiful city, and I'm I'm grateful to be a part of it. Wow. Um, okay. And so now let's let's get back because even though you say that it's Kansas and it's divided, both cities don't root for the Chiefs. Is that correct? Oh yes. Oh yes. 
Yes, we had, in fact, during the, the uh, Super Bowl parade, we had the mayors of both cities or, or the governors from both states on a float together. So we had uh, Governor Parsons from Missouri and Governor Kelly from uh, uh, the state of Kansas. They rode a float together and then both sent challenges to the uh, uh, governor of Cincinnati. And he had to hang the, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs flag in his office. Okay, so now, but if I remember it, because you said both of them were on on a float, and 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 the Lord has to forgive me for 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 the fleeting thought that went by my mind just then. But isn't it the Kansas governor though who was writing all the restrictive laws against women and women's health? Is it Kansas governor? The Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri governor. Oh, so that was your governor. State of Missouri. That's Parsons. Okay. All right. So your governor did. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, uh, help me, Holy Ghost. All right. So uh, Sharon Brown Taylor um, from Round Rock, Texas. Thank you for joining us. BJ Christmas um, from North Carolina. Alicia Green, Reverend Green from North Carolina. Uh, Karen uh, KJ Smith, all the way from Michigan. Um, ah, my sister-in-law, Mildred Burns out of Georgia. Thank you all for joining us. Renee Thompson Jones. I'm not sure which state you're in, but um, thank you and your BTG family uh, that are here. Miss um, uh, Laura Perry, thank you. Barama Smith, hello, hello, hello. Thank you all. Come on. You all take a moment and do us a favor. Um, like, tag, and share. Tag this with someone. Tag someone. Uh, please to join this because this conversation that we're having on today, um, especially as um, we are um, uh, coming and rounding out Black History Month is so very important um, to, um, to this um, to to our very well being. Um, our sisters are um, two of our co-hosts are absent from us on today. One of them um, is at the Proctor Conference um, preaching conference that's going on in Atlanta, and so we that's Dr. Wallace, and so we're excited about her and uh, Dr. Bradford had um, something that came up right as the show was about to start and could not be with us on today. And so we still wanna do a shout out um, to our sisters. Things in DC are good. And so I just have to say that again. Um, and um, we, I, I forgot that yesterday was a holiday. I had some appointments that were scheduled, but I tell you, it is really quite interesting to be in the capital city on a national holiday. The city really does slow down a whole lot. And so uh, that was uh, quite an experience um, for me on yesterday. And then to find out that our president um, did um, actually went um, what we call in stealth mode and uh, went um, uh, to Ukraine. And so um, we thank God for that. Thank you, Karen Horry from Yonkers, um, New York. And so listen, um, Today, we are really, really blessed um, to have a very special uh, guest with us, um, Mr. Thomas McLaurin. I had an opportunity to meet him some years ago. And then um, on last year, um, we were in conversation dialogue after, um, after a meeting, and he just kind of, um, and, and in it, uh, there was a place where we all had to stand up and tell something about ourselves that others didn't know. And he stood up and he shared this. And I remember sitting at the table going, wait, what? Why we didn't hear this? Why, why hasn't this been known in the midst of all of, um, of, of, all of the tension that we've um, experienced around this? And so on today, um, as I bring him up, 
we're very pleased to have the first cousin of George Floyd um, with us on today, uh, Thomas McLaurin. And so if you all will um, send up the hearts, send up the hearts um, as um, we welcome uh, this very distinguished uh, guest um, with us on uh, today. Welcome. welcome. God bless you, Dr. Burns and Dr. Wright. Thank you so much. This is such an honor to be in your presence today and in the presence of all your listeners. This is very humbling, I would say. Well, the blessing, the blessing is really ours. I will, I don't, you know, there, there are moments in, in life that um, we'll never forget. And, um, and I'm gonna start with the last verse is what I just said that sitting in the room and you stood up and you talked about um, the center um, that, um, that what it is that you do and, um, and went on to talk. And, and I remember, I think I just picked up my water and I was drinking and I was like, wait, did he just say what I heard, just heard? And, um, and your, what happened um, was, was something that at this point, COVID was new to the world, and um, the entire world saw something that perhaps would have might have made a news clip before um, the mm. pandemic, and um, and so that that's just is it, still mind blowing. But I've done a lot of talking. I'm going to lean on co-host on today, Dr. Wright. I know that she has some um, questions um, for you. So yeah. Yes. I too just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. It is a blessing and an honor. Many times when things happen, we hear third party information. And mm -hmm. so it's always nice to be able to connect and, and, and to get in the, the correct information and to get it the correct way. Um, one of the yes. things that, uh, you know, oftentimes in the midst of everything that we go through, uh, some, somewhere down the road, we recognize the pain to purpose of it all. None of us like going through, and, and you know that old cliche that you hear at church, it's not the trial that you go through, but how you go through the trial. Well, guess what? This is something that's bigger than I could have ever expected it to be. And so if you would today, just kind of talk to our viewers and our listeners about your experience that has led to the George Floyd uh, Family Center for Social Equity. At, at we, we, we know that there's, there's a lot of dynamics with it, and, and, and I hope that you'll be able to share that with us. Okay, certainly. And I'd like to begin uh, now. Again, it's the honor with you all. My wife is the preacher in the family, and uh, you all know my wife, uh, Dr. Lisa Allen McLaurin. So I'm not, I won't dare try to take on her role. But uh, as you were talking, Dr. Wright, what came to mind was when Jesus, uh, I think he was in the garden, and he said, take this cup away. And he said, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And so that's really how we look at it. It's almost three years after the fact. May 25th, 2020 was the actual date. And you know, you can, you can imagine, uh, if I go back in history, because I was a history teacher, I'm a retired educator, and oftentimes I look at certain dates, like my 92-year-old dad can remember uh, the bombing of Pearl Harbor. He was 11 years old when that took place. 
we fast forward, we all maybe, I'm not sure Dr. Burns may not be old enough, but we can remember where we were when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Yeah, yeah I remember. That, that's you know, Dr. Wright's um, territory. That's, that was not mine, but that shit. Yeah. <laughs> We can. <laughs> I was a little. I was a little boy, but I'm old enough to remember it. We can remember um, four little girls when the bombing took place down in Birmingham. We can remember Dr. King was assassinated, and then bring it uh, closer to this time. We can remember when the space shuttle Challenger. Oh my! Blew up. Well, I I attribute what happened on May 25th, 2020. I put it in the same category as those incidences because. Many of us can remember where we were when we heard the news or when we saw the news clip. Now, ironically, I didn't find out about it until the next day. I think uh, there was a holiday that weekend and my cousin sent a text message to me and she said, uh, take a look at this. So I started watching and like a lot of people, I saw a black man. Now, unfortunately, that has been typical in our society black men being held down by police. So I text her back. I'm like, what is this? She said, did you take a look at the entire clip? I said, no, what is it? She said, that's our cousin, Perry Jr. Wow. Wow. Now his name is George Perry Floyd Jr. And I'll get into you know a little bit more about our family in just a little bit. She said, that's Perry Jr. So I went back and I watched the entire clip. Now I've only watched that clip one time. My God. That's all I take. Ironically, just a few weeks ago, a month or so ago, I've only seen uh, what happened to Tyree Nichols one time because it just brought back fresh wounds, fresh memories. And so there was a pain. There was a pain. I think I was in shock for about a week because, first of all, I could not believe that there were human beings that would do this to another human being and hold him down until his last breath was taken. And then when they came to take him away in the ambulance, there was no urgency. My God. So, so you know, why would why would somebody do this to another human being? Mm -hmm. So out of that pain, um, our family got together. We actually were invited. You know, this is uh, down the road. We were invited to go to Washington, D.C. for the 57th commemoration of the March on Washington. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were speeches and everything being held. I was I was standing up on the um, Lincoln Memorial. I actually took a picture from where I stood because there's a famous picture of Dr. King where he's sort of looking over his left shoulder and somebody took a picture out toward the mall of the crowd and Dr. Mm -hmm. King is waving mm -hmm. someone over on his left. I was standing in that very spot. And um, I just felt like God had a purpose. God had a purpose in all of that. Uh, you know, I grew up in the church. I grew up with a praying family. I grew up believing that we are uh, precious in his sight. You know, Jesus loved the little children, you know, red and yellow, black and white. That's how I grew up. So I leaned on that strength. That afternoon, after the, the march and everything, we had a meeting in my hotel room, myself and other family members, and we said, we've got to do something. Well, little did they know I had already started taking notes on ideas of how we can keep this name George Floyd alive. Mm -hmm. And what came of that was the George Floyd Memorial Center. 
that's that's the idea because our ultimate goal is to create a center similar to the Muhammad Ali Center. Mm-hmm. Now we actually changed the name last fall to the Floyd Family Center for Social Equity. That is our current current name. And as you can see underneath my name, you can go to our website and see uh, the things that we are we are working on doing right now. It's been it's been a tough fight. It's been an uphill battle because when all of that happened to George, we saw the world protest. We saw the entire world get out in the streets. When I saw protests in the Middle East and in the Far East, I was stunned because the world was shook by what they saw in that video. Thank goodness for social media and that young lady, Darnella Frazier, who had the nerve to stand Mm -hmm. there and videotape Mm -hmm. the entire thing. Because as you said at the very beginning, Dr. Burns, it would have just been another blip on the news. You know, black man killed by police. And now let's go to the weather, Bob. You know, mm-hmm. that's what it would have been. Oh, yes. yes. And so um, our, pain, our pain led us into doing something that would not only keep the name George Floyd alive, but also to let the world know that the Floyd family is about love and about giving back. That's powerful. That's powerful. And I appreciate you saying um, about love and about giving back because um, I, I think that even one of the, the things that we uh, talk about is that I, I, heard, um, I heard a pastor by the name of um, uh, Jesse Duplantis out of New Orleans during the time of Katrina. And he was responding to the way that the people of color and the citizens of New Orleans had been handled during that time. Uh, The lack of resource, the lack of attention, the lack of urgency towards getting these families taken care of. And he said, Mm -hmm. I want to tell you this. He said, black people have one, one crime. He said, I'm gonna tell you what that is. He said their biggest crime is that they love too hard and they forgive too quickly. Mm. Mm. And mm. we see this time and time again, you know, get over it, let it go. Um, and so, you know, how do you manage this? I heard you say that when you saw the video, you could only see the video one time. Yes. If we really address trauma and we really address uh, um, the the uh, uh, shock and things that we have experienced as as a race of people, we've almost become numb to it because we've seen it so right. much. It's right. become a way of life for us, right. and so we've almost become numb to it. And so I heard you saying that you couldn't watch that because it just it brought up some things. It talk talk to me if you can, or talk to us about the triggers. Um, you know, how did you manage that with your family? Um, there's because in reality, who do you who do you uh, point the finger at? Who 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 right. do you address for right. something that a terrible injustice that never should have happened? Exactly. Um, that's tough. One of the things about black men especially is we're not unless the bone is sticking out of our leg or you know 
Uh, we see brain leaking out of our ears or whatever. We, oh, we'll take care of it. I'll take an aspirin and whatever. And then if there's trauma within our family, keep it quiet, keep it down. Anybody know about it or whatever. That's That's been part of what we've done for centuries. Our family talked, we talked. We have a thread uh, that we now, um, every day I have a cousin that lives in New York that actually sends out a positive message every single day. And there's several of us uh, on the family, uh, in the family that's on that thread. And we respond, thank you for that word, thank you for that note and so forth. But when this happened, we talked, we talked, we got on Zoom calls. Um, again, thank goodness for social media and so forth. Uh, we didn't do a whole lot within the social media, but we did get on Zoom and we talked about it. How are you feeling? What's going on with you? What's happening? What does this make you want to go do? What can we do to help? And so we just stayed in communications with each other to work our way through it. Like I said, we've been a family of love. You see us at a family reunion. When we get together, um, I play bass guitar. My son plays drums. I have another cousin that plays keyboards. My wife, of course, plays keyboards. Another uncle that plays guitar. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was taught um, guitar when I was five years old by George's dad. Wow. But, uh, we get together and, you know, we'll pull the instruments out on the carport. And next thing you know, the entire community is coming around. And we've been doing that for years and years. And we didn't have to go and create entertainment outside of our circle. Ooh. We entertain ourselves. We still do that to this day. Uh, we'll call each other on our birthdays and, you know, we'll we'll do the best we can as far as harmonizing on the phone, you know, singing happy birthday to one, of, especially our seniors um, who are still still with us. Um, but we just constantly talk. What's going on? How you doing? Tell me what's happening. How can I help? Wow. So so let me ask you this. Just just. Um, we, 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 I guess we, we, we jumped right into it, right? That almost three years yeah. ago. Tell us a little, yeah. tell us, tell us about your cousin. Um, what, what was he like? Uh, and your well, first cousin by birth, how, how's that lineup? Go ahead and explain that to us. Well, uh, I had not seen George since he was a little boy. Okay. As I mentioned, uh, George's father was my uncle. And if you would like, uh, show a picture at this time. So you guys see this picture here. The lady to the uh, third from the left is my mother. Her name was Annie Floyd McLaurin. She married my daddy, Marion McLaurin, which is how I knew the name McLaurin. But her name is Annie, and she was the oldest of nine. Now you see there are two, four, six, seven. Um, one kid, one child was, was uh, he died at two months old, he was behind my mom. And then another brother who was behind my aunt, he, uh, he died in 1981. So this picture was taken around 2000. The lady to the right in the, I don't know if that's purple or lavender or whatever, that beautiful lady with the beautiful white hair, that was my grandmother, Agartha Floyd. Now her husband, Neil Floyd, which my, my middle name is Neil. I'm named after my dad's father, Thomas, and my mother's father, Neil. <laughs> Her husband died when my mom was six months pregnant with me. So uh, they were all young. My mom was about to get married to my dad. 
Uh, well, she no, I'll take that back. She had been married. She had been married to my dad for eight months. And then um, before I was born, my uh, grandfather passed away from a massive heart attack. But these are her siblings. The gentleman to the left with the Chicago Cubs baseball cap and the Batman t-shirt, his name is George Perry Floyd Sr. That's George Floyd's dad. That's my mom's brother. And so that's how I'm related to George Floyd. Uh, like I said, the man to the left with the Chicago Cubs hat on. If you look, he, he looks just like George. George looked just like him, really. Mm-hmm. He wow. and his wife, he and his wife had three children. Uh, they had two girls, and then George was the third child. Mm-hmm. When George was about three years old, they separated. She had a sister that lived in Houston, Texas. So she packs the kids up and moves out of the country of North Carolina. We're all originally from North Carolina. And I heard you say earlier, there's some North Carolina folks on, on the uh, on the call tonight. So I'm yes. from Sampson County, a little bitty town called Roseboro, 25 miles east of Fayetteville. So mm-hmm. if you know where Roseboro is, you know, blink when you drive through it because you'll miss it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you drive right through that blinking light. Anyway, um, uh, my uncle and his wife, George's mother, they lived in Fayetteville. That's where George was born. When he was about three, they separated. She moved out to Texas, which is why George ended up growing up in Texas. While out there, she actually had two more sons. So when you've seen family of George Floyd on TV with Ben Crump, generally he'll show uh, one of George's half brothers, uh, Philonis Floyd. So they all had the same mother. Uh, but my uncle just had those three kids with uh, my aunt Sissy. And so that's how I'm related. Like I said, my uncle Perry, well, we we always called him Perry. We never called him George Perry. Uh, but George Sr., he was a professional professional musician, did some studio work for James Brown, uh, did a lot of studio work in New York. When I was five, he sat me in his lap and uh, taught me how to play the guitar. But I'll go ahead and tell you who else is on this picture. Next to him is my uncle Wendell. Um, Wendell is, he's still in North Carolina, um, and he's a great singer. Uh, my mom there, my uncle Ike, the one with the mouth open, he's the baby brother, the tall one in the back. That's him 24 seven. His mouth is always open. He's always talking. (laughs) That's Ike Floyd. Uh, my aunt Ella is there in the front, the short one. And then the one next to her is my uncle Roger. Roger and I are the co-founders of the Floyd Family Center. He still lives mm. in Raleigh, North Carolina. So, 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 so the gentleman standing behind your grandmother is is the co-founder, or yes, the one. With, yes, the one between my aunt and my grandmother with okay. the glasses and the, the blue cap. Yes, um, okay. Representing his college, Fayetteville State University. Yeah, that's my uncle Roger. He's a co-founder, and then to the far right is my uncle Cliff. He lives uh, in Rockland, um, Illinois. So those are my mom's siblings that are, um, you know, showing who was alive at the time. Since then, my grandmother, my uncle Perry, George's dad, and my mom have gone on to, uh, they've transitioned to the, uh, as my wife would say, to to be the, um, what is the triumphant, uh, what is it she always says? She doesn't say they died. They've gone on to, be be triumphant in glory. Okay. Wow. Wow. Um, 
what what about the children? Um, you know, with all the press and attention, how do we get children um, to value their own lives? That's where we really have to parent. We have to parent. We have to constantly talk to our children. That's a lost art. You know, you go to a restaurant now, and I've seen a, a family of four or a family of five, say a mom and dad, and three kids, all five of them are sitting there on their phones. You know, it's almost like we've lost that art of communication with our children. And like I said, that's one of the things that helped get us through this situation is we communicated, we talked. We have to con constantly talk to our kids and let them know, number one, you are valued. You are a person of value. God, God don't make no mistakes, as we say. So you have a purpose. You have value to this society. Help them find what that is. Let them know that even though we see this happening, especially to black and brown people a lot, God is still in control. Do you think that we have, and well, I, I, and I'm sure that you probably, you probably do. Um, I, We've, we've dropped the ball with passing the information on. And then once we pass the information on, we're not consistent. We don't do our due diligence. I think we let go too quick. Um, we, we don't sometimes, some people are visual people. Some people, you, they can hear it once or twice and they're good with it. But just as so many other things are put before our children. Um, how important do you think that it is that we remain or become more consistent in repeating to them or, or getting our history out to them? Uh, right now yeah. you have uh, Governor uh, Ron DeSantis in, in Florida who is, is Cocoa for Cocoa Puffs. Um, and a joke. the, you know, doing the things that that he's that the people are allowing him to do um, mm -hmm. to not let the history of the people be taught. And mm -hmm. and it's it's almost appalling. But how do we become more consistent in our efforts to stop this massive disrespect of black lives? Right. Um, I know we've been, it's been drilled in us, that crawdad spirit, that crawdad nature. But you know what? At the end of the day, I'm done with the excuses. We yes. got to stop riding on those excuses. Yes. How do we break the cycle of ignorance and teach our children not only that you give respect, but that you get respect when yeah. you give respect? Yeah. One of the... One of the things that I was taught as a youngster was to respect my elders. You know, if I was, uh, I mean, I was, I was young, I was a teenager. I did some wild and crazy, not too wild and crazy because I was scared of my dad. My dad, uh, even until when I got into high school, still believed in the belt. Uh, and I'm not saying to, I'm not saying to abuse, but I was taught early on to respect my elders. But here's, here's one of the keys is that it's going to be difficult to teach your history to your young people if you don't know your history. Oh. And so 
if 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 we have mothers and fathers, and I'm not picking on this this age group, but if we got mothers and fathers between the age of, of 20 and say 35 that don't know their history, and all they know is that uh, I'm going to get together with with Joe Boo or or Jigaboo or whoever. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, that may have come out wrong, but you know what I mean. And I'm going to make some babies because I'm romanticizing about having a little baby, not really thinking that that child is going to grow up one day my, my, my. and I'm not going to parent, then, you know, it's going to be lost in a couple of generations. Whatever history we had is going to be lost because there's not going to be anybody who knows the history around to tell it. Mm -hmm. And so we have to constantly have forums like this where we do let people know what time it is, what's going on, you know, Get our children to read. There's a lot of good history out there, not just by people like W.E.B. Du Bois or, you know, people back in that day. We've got folks today that are writing books about who we are and what we're about. You know, um, one of the most interesting things that I started reading, and it's a hard read, so I got it on Audible, is the 1619 Project. Yes. I mean, that thing is deep. That's deep. You know, I just got another book the other day called Radical Reconciliation. You know, I actually heard one of the co-authors speak and it's it's crazy when you start talking about what is reconciliation and we need to understand that in order to have some sort of reconciliation, the other side has to come over to our side and really feel who we are about, you know, and so it can't be a one sided coin. You know, all coins have two sides. So when we are talking to our children, let them know that your heritage is valued. You know, don't fully assimilate into European culture and lose who you are. Wow. Because your background is not from Europe. Wow. Your background is from kings and queens. Wow. They did not bring slaves over here. They brought kings and queens over here and made us into slaves. Wow. Yeah. Okay. While you're in that, we have this one viewer in the audience, viewer in the audience and I, I want to say, I believe she has, I know she has one son, um, but I want to say that she has, she has two, two, two sons that are, that are grown. And she has mm -hmm. this question, how do you encourage Black men, especially with what happened to your cousin? It, black men can be encouraged by other Black men. Iron sharpens iron. Get around somebody who is really positive, who's really doing something. There are some folks out there in every community. Unfortunately, we only hear about the ones that can slam dunk or run a touchdown. Oh. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong because I was an athlete. Thank goodness uh, my dad did not have to pay for my college. As you know, you still get these spam calls about your uh, student loans. I've never had a student loan because I was on scholarship. So thank goodness for my athletic uh, ability. But that's not who I am. That's what I did, mm. you know. And so get them around some other black men that are really doing something, you know. Hopefully, there's someone in the house. If there's not, there's somebody out there. You can reach out to these folks. Reach out to me. Email me. You go to our website, floydfamilycenter.org, and it has their contact. Email me. I'm the one that checks that. I'd be. I'd love to talk to your young people. I come speak. You know, I, I come to Kansas City if you want me to. You let me know what you need. I'm retired. If I'd have known retirement was this good, I'd have done it 20 years ago. But uh, <laughs> say that, say that, but, say that. 
I'm just yes, doing the ranks. Yeah. I understand. Oh my goodness, <laughs> ain't nothing like it. You know, but you know what time it, is it? it hey, what it, time it, is it? Nine thirty. Okay, I think I get out of bed now. You know, so. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can. You know, we have to pour into these young people. Pour into them. You know, plant the seeds. Let God give the increase, but we got to plant the seeds. Right, right. And, you know, as you're saying this, you're talking about um, it takes my mind back to how um, I, I watched. Um, so I've been off due to this uh, total knee replacement and I've had an opportunity to watch some movies and rewatch. And yesterday I rewatched The Woman King. Oh, and goodness. I'm just going to be honest that my favorite part of the movie was when the tribe of women walked into the camp and one guy said, who are these women? In other words, why are they not enslaved? He said, uh, yeah, you, you don't want to do that. <laughs> he said, because they the baddest. And he had a phrase and he said, but they that's the baddest a, in the land. <laughs> that's exactly what I said after I watched the movie. I said, thank God. I don't want to have to, you know, I, I they, Mm, yes, uh, whatever. No, <laughs> Lord, I don't want to deal with them. You think Muhammad Ali was the baddest? Them sisters. Yep, yep. Hey, Dr. Wright, you all have Patrick Mahomes. They were the original Mahomes. Uh, Mahomes. Okay. Let me let me ask you this. So you all talk about the power of, of Woman King and 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 you um you, you reference the fact that they didn't bring over slaves, they brought over kings and queens. Um I believe you were beginning to kind of hit on I might have interrupted you in that, but how do we as a people become consistent in our efforts to stop um the massive disrespect of black lives? Mm. Um, um uh, the author's name just escaped me. I think it was it wasn't Miles Monroe. Um, anyway, there's a book, and I'm sure you all may have heard it. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Do y'all remember that book? I think it came out in the late 80s, early 90s. I can't remember, it wasn't Miles Monroe, but I can't remember who actually wrote it. It was called Feel the Fear, but do it anyway. A lot of times we won't talk about what's going on with us, even to us, because of fear. Mm -hmm. You know, we are fearing what the white man might say. Mm. So I wrote, I wrote a, um, I wrote a piece. Uh, it's a spoken word piece. I'm still working on because I'm putting music to it. My friend and I are putting some music to it. It's called America. Why do you hate me? It's mm. a spoken word piece. And I let a young lady who is uh, associated with our with our uh, organization, I let her hear it. She said, oh, my goodness. She says, I'm working with a company here in Atlanta that is about to do a black history program later on this month. I want to share this with them and see if they can get you to come and read your piece. I said, sure. Let me know what's what's what. You know, so I did the old fashioned copyright where I put up, printed out the words, put it in an envelope, mailed it to myself and I'm not going to open it. You know, that's that's the old fashioned copyright for those that don't know how that works. Mm -hmm. If you do that, it has the uh, the postmark date the postmark on there. So open yeah. So if somebody says, uh, when did you write this? Hey, look at the date right there. But anyway, she came back about three days later. She says, uh, now this was a black company. 
She says, no, they they decided they didn't want to use it because they were afraid it might mess up their uh, endorsements and the uh, monies they're supposed to get from a white organization. Wow. Look at what look at what happened to Kyrie Irving and so many others. That's true, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we cannot be afraid to talk to our people, number one, about their value, and number two, about the reality of what's happening out here. I mean, why is it that we're the only ones that has to have the talk with our kids about the police? You know, you pull yeah. it over, make sure your home lights on, make sure your hands are on the steering wheel. You know, don't no, reach until they say something. And say, get your license. I'm reaching for my wallet. You know, don't. Why do we? Why are we the only ones that have to do that? My God. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I answered your question, but we can't be afraid to continue to keep George's name alive, to continue to keep Tyree Nichols' name, Brianna Taylor's name, Eric Gardner, all the ones that have died for what? Why, why, why did they die? And why is it that this little boy can go into a church in South Carolina and shoot up the church and oh, then get wow. taken to McDonald's or Burger King before he goes to jail? Why? My God. My God. We've got to keep that narrative in front of our folks until there's change. We might not see it in how, our lifetime. How do we, we do that? Keep it up. How, how do we do that? How, how do, do we, we make sure that a, that, that a movement never dies? How do we do that? Tune in to uh, Timely Wisdom. Tune in to other organizations that are doing what you're doing. When you all stand in the pulpit in front of your, your people on Sunday or Saturday or whenever it is you stand there, tell the people the truth. Wow. Write your, write your uh, uh, people that you have elected and then elect the right people to go into office, come out and vote. I was in Selma, Alabama this past Friday for a meeting and I drove across the Edmund Pettus Bridge to go to the meeting and on my way out, I stopped on the other side and I stood right next to the area where John Lewis and uh, all those were beaten. And I just looked and I was envisioning that video in my mind of them being beaten by those police officers and the uh, horses trampling through them and the tear gas. And I actually, I got chills. Yes. Uh, that's the second time that's happened to me. The first time it happened, I was in Jackson, Mississippi, and I stood in the spot where Medgar Evers was murdered in front of his house. Mm -hmm. And I felt his presence. Mm -hmm. So we have to continue to let our children know that there are people who have stood up for you so that you can go to a school where, with people that look like you and those that don't. You can go to a school and get a scholarship and become a doctor and, and, and work in Johns Hopkins or any other hospital or wherever it is you want to work. You can, you can actually now <laughs> grow up to be president. Mm -hmm. So there have been so many people. Um, we 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 know about Trayvon Martin, a seventeen-year-old Miami uh, kid who who was shot by and killed by George Zimmerman, a self-proclaimed vigilante or neighborhood neighborhood watch person. I don't know what he called himself doing, um, which sparked outrage in 2012. Now, mind you, even after uh, this happened and just to see the thorough injustice of it all, how the, the inattention that was given to the family and so forth, 
Um, then there was Ahmad Aubrey. He was murdered while jogging, while jogging through a new build uh, in a new build neighborhood in Glenn County, Georgia, by three, once again, self-appointed vigilantes. And then the, tra the very tragic death of uh, Breonna Taylor, who you mentioned earlier. She was a 26-year-old black female EMT shot in her own home. 2020 uh, by law enforcement officers. Um, you mentioned Derek Garner earlier. Uh, then there was Mike Brown and Ferguson. Um, mm -hmm. And the list just keeps going, keeps going. Um, and, you know, it's, it's almost, it's, it's almost tiring. However, I, I hear uh, the young people sometimes say, well, they're going to do it anyway. How do we help change that, not only the scenario, but change that mindset that you can't just be quiet? Yeah. You have to say something. Yes, they say, say the name. But how do yeah. we get them, how do we get past that to where it's an urgency again and keep it an urgency? It was an urgency when, when we saw the video of George Floyd. It was an right. urgency when we saw Breonna Taylor. It was an urgency when we saw Ahmaud Arbery. How do we keep this in the forefront to where it remains an urgency? Right. We have to do more than... Well, we have, we have to talk about it, but there has to be some action for young people to say, well, it's just going to keep happening. It's because they've seen a lot happen. You know, talking about growing up, I actually remember um, when there was the six o'clock news. The, the local news was from 6 to 6.30, and then the national news was from 6.30 to 7. There was no 24-hour cable, none of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I remember every night, this was during the 60s, the very first news story on the national news was how many were killed, wounded, or missing in Vietnam. Every night. And I, as a little boy, I thought the Vietnam War was going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever. I thought it would never end because for years, that's what we saw. Now, it's ironic that the year I turned 18 was the year they stopped uh, making you go register for the draft. The draft had ended a few years earlier, but that was the year that they stopped having the uh, where you had to go register. But. If I keep seeing something going over and over and over again, then what am I going to say? Oh, it's just going to happen again. Now, there have been some killings since George, as we've noted. Mm -hmm. The la latest one, well, not the latest one. I think there was another one that happened here in Georgia not too long ago, down in South Georgia. I can't remember exactly who it was. But, of course, the one day the national headlines was Barry Nichols. to get somehow on the inside of these systems. One of the things that we've done is last year on the anniversary of uh, the second anniversary of George's death, we actually had a town hall meeting with five police chiefs. We invited these police chiefs to come on and the title of our town hall was bridging the gap between law enforcement and 
um, communities. Now, ironically, uh, we invited six. The five that did show up were actually African-American. The one who didn't, who said had a meeting or something else was Caucasian. And one of the things that these chiefs told us was that they were enacting uh, different policies within their police forces on their recruiting and their training and handling uh, potentially explosive situations, de-escalating instead of escalating. And one of the police chiefs actually was the chief that took over in Ferguson after the incident that took there took place there. So uh, he said, man, he said uh, he was chief in Ferguson for like two years, and then he actually is in Apex, North Carolina now. But we have to get on the inside. Again, I mentioned earlier, we've got to put in office, especially at the federal level, because federal judges are appointed by the president. And then our local judges, they are appointed by us. We, we vote them in. And then, of course, the politicians who make the laws. So we've got to get more active in putting the right people in who will not only do the right thing, but will also look out for us. When are we going to get looked after? Well, so I'm not sure if I, if I answered your question, but that's just what was I needed to share that what was on my heart. Well, one of our viewers uh, responded to something we were talking about a little earlier about the situation in Houston, Harris County in Houston, Texas. She said, because so many of the black brothers has come up deceased in Harris County, the black Co coalition is putting demands on this as we speak. 58 blacks last year in that county jail, Harrison County were came, ended up, uh, ended up uh, dead. And so mm -hmm. it's, um, it's it's interesting how there's there's no uh, it's the young younger ones um and there was a child that was um, murdered here not too long ago and they did find this baby's body and when they found him all of his organs were gone oh my god and it just goes from one extreme to another just um. From one to another. That, now that that right there sounds like there's something else involved as far as the organs, because I do know that there are body snatchers out there that are mm -hmm. snatching up kids for uh, sex trafficking and then selling organs. So that's that's a, that's a little bit different than dealing with uh, police. But but going back to the jail situation again, it's who you put in charge. And there are some things like I mentioned, it's going to take some time, but we have to continue to fight. We have to continue to fight. Uh, my uncle and I were privileged last year to speak at an NAACP banquet in North Carolina, in uh, Harnett County, North Carolina. And their theme was, um, when we fight, we win. And so mm -hmm. when I got up to speak, the first thing that I asked them was, I said, I don't want y'all to answer this out loud. I want you to think about it. Your theme is when we fight, we win. Which do you think is the most important, the fighting or the winning? And then I went on to talk about, uh, I used two movies, for example. The first one was Roots. When Kunta Kente went out to get the wood to build a drum for his little brother, he was captured. Now, when they threw the net over him, you all remember, he didn't just say, oh, y'all got me. You know, he fought, he struggled. 
but they got him anyway. And think of the thousands and thousands who probably fought the same way, but they ended up coming over to this country in shackles. And then the second movie was the movie Glory. And if, ah. you, remember toward, if you remember toward the end of that movie, when the Black Regiment uh, was the first one to march up and attack the fort, Fort Wagner in South Carolina. Right. A lot of them, including the two stars, Matthew Broderick and Denzel Washington, died. So they fought. But here's the key. All of them did not die. All of those that came over. This is why you and I are sitting here now, because there were some that survived. They did what they had to do to survive. That's why we are here. Those ancestors that fought, they sacrificed. You know, even I think about Dr. King, his last speech. He said, I may not get there with you. Oh. But think from the day prior, Dr. King was fighting. His wife and others said, Martin, don't go to Memphis. Don't go to Memphis. And he said, no, I've got to go. I promised them I would go. To fight for who? The garbage men. Men who were just as important as a doctor or a teacher. That's right. And so wow. what we have to do is we have to continue to fight continue to fight because some of us may not get there, but eventually our people are going to get there. We're going to get to where we see that diversity, that equity, that inclusion. It's going to take some, take time, but we have to continue. We can't stop. We can't get tired. Well, um, thank you so much, um, Mr. McLaurin. And we have just a couple of minutes left um, of this broadcast. Um, tell us about, um, you know, the people, they want to know more about the Floyd Family Center. They want to support the work of the Floyd Family Center. Um, have these last few few minutes to just to kind of okay. uh, to, to, to sum up around there. Thank you so much. As I mentioned at the outset of this broadcast, uh, this is humbling. It really is. But I appreciate this platform simply because it does give me another outlet to tell about the work that we're doing. And there are so many others out there. What we're doing is we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're trying to take this wheel and keep it rolling because there are organizations out there that are doing good work. What the Floyd Family Center of Social Equity is all about is we've, we've identified five pillars that we want to address. And that is health. That's our number one thing that we're working on right now. Health, education, wealth, scholarship, and the arts. Now, uh, definitely the arts, because I said we are singing family. We have a musical family. Uh, we love that. We want to support the arts. Uh, I play guitar uh, every Sunday at, uh, at a church here in, in Atlanta. Uh, now, we are located in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. That's our home base. And we chose, George was born in Fayetteville, but we chose Raleigh because Raleigh is the center of the state. It's the center for education. It's the center for um, uh, government, tourism, and so forth. So that's our home base. And from there, we want to bring to working uh, on right now is we're about to put together a food uh, pantry uh, where we want to try to help some of these folks that are facing food insecurities. And then we have a, uh, a mental health coaching program where we are addressing issues with young people. Now, we're going to be working with all, all people, but our primary goal right now is working with teenagers and, and uh, young adults who are facing a lot of issues. You know, it's, it's crazy because the alarm, the, the rate for suicide among black teens is on the rise. 
it is on the rise. You never heard about black teens committing suicide back in the day, but now we're seeing it more and more and more. So those are the two things that we're addressing. And if you go on our site, there is a place to donate. Uh, we do live in a capitalist society. You know, it's nice to have the prayers, but we also need to have some help uh, financially uh, as we create these food, this food bank and these other programs. We have to pay folks to come in and do those things. And we are looking to collaborate with like-minded folks. So if you are an organization who has some of the same uh, ideas, has the same heart, and you want to collaborate with us, hey, we are to support you and let you support us. Go to our website, go to the contact page, please contact me. There's also a donate button there, click it, send me $2, send me $5, send that 10,000 if you want to. <laughs> you know, um, it, We are a 501c3 organization, so all of your donations are tax deductible. Wow. Wow. Thank you um, for being with us. I'm going to ask that you hang around um, backstage um, for us. Okay. And um, just thank you so very much um, for this time. The work that you're doing is so very important. And again, our prayers continue to be with your family. And we know that every time a tragedy happens and occurs, so another Black male in this televised, um, it reopens that wound. And so we thank you for the work. Um, that you're um, that you're doing and your family has decided to do to help so many others. Just hang around for this backstage. Thank you. Wow. Um, wow. That's uh, heavy. That's heavy, right? And um, it's the reality um, that that um, injustice is just still consistently happening um, to our community. And um, yeah. If, if we have to say, do you want to fight or do you want to win? I see one of our viewers said that the only way you can win is to fight. You got to fight to win. Right? <laughs> and um, and uh, and so we cannot forget that if we don't speak up for ourselves, who will? You know, Dr. Burns, um, I've said so many times there's justice and there's just us. And there's just us. Thank you all for being with us this week on Timely Wisdom. The Lord says the same. We'll see you all next week. Uh, same time, same place. God bless.